0: All right, well, welcome. If this is your first time at Wells Branch Community Church, I am so glad that all of you are here. Um, If you're new, uh, usually we have stuff up on the screen here so uh, so that you can see, especially if you're right in the middle and you don't have to look at the side screens, you don't have to take your eyes off me, which is kind of like the whole goal, right? All right, um, thank you, Grayson. Uh, Give it up for Grayson, everybody. He makes all things happen. Yeah. All right, so listen, we've been in a series called Sex, Singleness, and Serious Relationships uh, for the past couple weeks. And it's been a great one for our children's ministry. Now, here's the thing. (laughs) If you have a baby here, I am so glad that you're here. Like that, we love babies. And if at some point your baby freaks out and you're like, you feel that that awkward moment of like, um, everyone's staring at me, we have a family room over there. And then you can just kind of hide in there until uh, your baby calms down or go outside or whatever. But we just want you to know that don't feel weird. I have four kids. And so there is nothing you could possibly do that could distract me or don't feel like I'm ruining it. You might be ruining it for the person next to you, but not for me. Okay, so uh, I am so grateful you're here. And also the reason why um, we don't have a nursery right now, because we need volunteers. Okay, all right. Uh, in fact uh, if you're thinking to yourself man I would really love to serve in our in the beautiful thing of children's ministry but I don't do babies don't worry come be a part of children's ministry that'll allow some of our other people that love babies that have missed the babies and all they want to do is like hold and talk. Like there's, there's a whole sect of people that just love to hold babies. And so they have been prevented from that because they're doing uh, other great ministry, but they would love, 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 love to go back and hold some babies again. So that's my public service announcement for everyone joining children's ministry at some point. Okay, so we're in this series called God's Time for Sex, Singleness, uh, and Serious Relationships. And we started off uh, in week one uh, really just looking at what God has for single people. And uh, nobody got angry at that that message, which I was really grateful for. And then the next week we talked about sex. We talked about the reality that God actually made up sex. And he didn't make it to be like a miserable experience you'd sort of may do to procreate. No, but rather he did it so you'd want to do it more and more and more with the person that you're married to. And we said the best sex is had by people in their 60s. It's awkward if you're 20 to even think about, so we just keep moving. All right. And then we, on Valentine's Day, we talked about the serious relationship of marriage and what that dynamic looks like. Uh, and then that last week on, on post apocalypse, we talk about uh, our relationship to the church and how important and powerful that is, especially when the church comes together and we can love one another, uh, especially when your pipes freeze or burst or lose power, and it's really life or death. Uh, in those kind of crisis situations, you need the relationship with the church. Okay, Uh, and we're going to continue, and we're going to talk about sex in terms of gender and marriage, which makes everybody get really nervous. Right, and in fact, we're gonna probably have a lot of questions. Okay, so if you have any questions, it's probably now the time to do it. And if you're new here, I promise we don't talk about this like every week. But of course, on the time that you come, we talk about probably the hardest thing of all time. So welcome, welcome to Wells Branch Community Church. We lead into really hard things. Text me, and you can tell me about how your your experience was, and I'd love to read all about it. All right. (laughs) Um, All right. So the reason why this is so important. Do you guys know that this week or this past week the U.S. House of Representatives passed uh, the Equality Act. You guys familiar with this? Essentially, uh, it's kind of bringing into, it's modifying the 1964 Civil Rights Act to include um, transgender, homosexual, Uh, gender identity issues into uh, that Bill for 64, which, and what that really means for Christian organizations, if you hold to the traditional view of marriage is that, and you are, for example, adoption agency, you have to adopt to same-sex parents and that kind of thing. That's just, that's the way it is. So if that that bill passes this week, that's what's going to happen. Now, I'm not bringing that up to talk about, like, everyone go call your senator and I'm, that's not what this is. It's just the reality is that the, the, the culture of sex and what is appropriate and, and right has shifted. All right? It's shifted. It's shifted from um, in the 50s. There was a traditional way to do it. And anyone who left that traditional way, they, they didn't need the government to ostracize you. The people just did it. right? And then what happened is that we got to 2021. 20, uh, we've gotten to this place where um, nobody has a definite understanding what sex is or what gender is. In fact, we just said there is no such thing as gender. And so now we're just in a very confused place. And so I wanted us, listen, this is why as Christians it's so important to lean into this because this is, we we come at this as a place of speaking into the public square. Now, what I want to say is we don't ask people who don't have the Holy Spirit to do what only people with the Holy Spirit can do does that make sense? We can't ask or put on to people, and this probably was part of the problem of the past. You cannot put on to people who are not Christians, Christian faith, because they don't have the Holy Spirit to live it out. Now, Um, when it comes to homosexuality, I have a person, this is not just a theoretical conversation. This is a personal conversation. I wrote a book about my relationship with a a really good friend of mine, and I won't tell you how it ends because then I'd tell you how his life ended. Anyway, but that, I guess I already told you. All right. Anyway, um, but he was a really good, really good friend of mine and, uh, he was gay. He is HIV positive and he ended up dying of cancer, uh, and complications with HIV. It was just a mess, but he and I became super, super close and, um, and he would give me tours of the neighborhood, and he, we would go to gay churches together, and we would debate this openly as friends, and it would get passionate, it would get heated, uh, and so even with somebody you love, uh, you can have a disagreement with, okay? Now, let me explain something before we get into this um, uh, about that. Did you know that rules without relationship lead to rebellion? Any, any parent knows this, right? If you're a parent, you have a lot of rules, zero relationship. That kid is going to do the opposite of whatever it is you did and to stick it to the man, right? Now, the flip side of that, relationship without rules is abuse. Take a while for that to set in. Relationship without rules is abuse. Because if there are no rules in our relationship and I come up to you and go, bam, how'd that feel? And they're like, you just do whatever you want, right? Like that, that is abusive, Okay. In the same way, I think we sometimes abuse God's grace because we're like, ah, I can do what I want. God will forgive me. Or you know what? That's not even a real thing. God couldn't possibly care about that. That's why when the Bible talks about Jesus being the epitome of truth and love. And so this is where we're going to go. And this is why it's so important because God designed humans and he loves people but there was a specific design that goes along with people. All right, so you kind of know where I'm going, where I stand on this, but uh, I'm going to help you out. So if you were like, where is he going? So I, at our church, we believe in traditional gender roles and traditional marriage, but not because we want to be draconian and hold it over everybody and be like, you will bow to my power. Like, I honestly be way easier if the Bible said... It's a free-for-all. I'd be, like, thrilled. I would be, you know, I don't like conflict. I don't like, this is awkward for me to talk about. I feel like I'm already talking too much. You know, like, this is hard. And I've, having those hard conversations is super challenging for me. But what happens is, Christians, we can kind of get confused and resist God's design for gender and marriage because we've heard this said, God made me this way. We've heard this said, God made us this way, so therefore, um, who am I to argue with that? And I think there's a large portion of us in this room online, you're watching this, and I'm, I'm so glad you are, that you have a gay family member or an LGBTQ plus family member. And you would say, Chris, I've known them from forever. They've always been that way. Lady Gaga sing, is singing their song. Born that way. Like, that is just, like, how we roll and how it is. And so for you to say anything sort of contrary to that goes against everything some of my really special friends feel. And, I, man, I, I have a lot of compassion there for that. Or, or um, we resist God's design for gender and marriage because God wants us to be happy. And if that makes Him happy, why are we sitting so upset about it? Well, I mean, come on. Doesn't God... And then this is the same sort of logic we apply to, that's why I'm not married anymore because God wants me to be happy. Or that's why, you know, like you can apply that sort of logic to just about everything because God wants me to be happy and God wouldn't ever ask me to do anything that would make me sad. Because God's a grandpa and he's a little bit, you know, he entitles me just a little bit and I'm spoiled and uh, he's like Santa Claus. He, he doesn't actually give out cold to anybody. He just loves everybody and as long as you believe in him. All right. Or how about this? We I've heard this one a lot. We want to be on the right side of history. Like, listen, you don't want to be on the wrong side of history when it comes to slavery. You're going to look back, and people are going to judge you, and they're going to be like, look at how awful you were." You have a chance now. Just listen. Everyone will forgive you. You know, it's only been a couple years since the Supreme Court sort of changed laws. Marriage became the law of the land for homosexuals or any sexual. It doesn't matter. Jump on board. Get on board while you still have a chance or history will judge you. And especially as this bill passes, churches are going to be in danger. And now all of a sudden, uh, what you, you might not even be able to meet anymore. Get off this issue. Who cares? Okay, so I, I hear that. I hear that. So that's why we resist that. And uh, I want to kind of give you like a, a direction of where I'm going to take uh, this morning. All right. So first off, uh, we're going to say God had designed for gender and marriage. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, then we're going to remind we're going to go to Romans 1, and we're going to go through one of the passages very clear about homosexuality. Now, in the Bible, there's about seven passages out of the entire Bible that deal with the subject of gender and homosexuality. Um, and usually on the, in the gay community calls these passages the clobber passages because it's usually what, what Christians use to bang people over the head uh, with the Bible. So you would clobber them with your Bible. And again, I think that came from a lot of us, uh, good intentions with a lot of truth, but not remembering or understanding that unless you have the Holy Spirit, you cannot live the Christian life. Does that make sense? Unless you have the Holy Spirit, you cannot live the Christian life. And so what happened is I think uh, we, as a, as a Christian culture, we did a lot of, let me read you the Bible and no one ever felt loved. Okay. And so I think that's what happened. However, this passage gets about as clear on the truth aspect of Romans 1 as it gets. And so we're going to talk about how God saves sinners who reject his design. Sexual morality, including homosexuality, is the result of idolatry, which is actually the result of all rebellion, all sin. Okay? And that's where we're going to go this morning. So we're doing a Genesis 2 to Romans 1 little uh, movement. And so, but before we get in, would you guys just mind praying with me? first we're going to i 'm going to pray for you that God would give you ears to hear and to be able to kind of take this in and and really embrace all that God has but then at the same time, would you pray for me i'm going to give you a slot there to pray for me that I would proclaim a message of truth and love all at the same time and that's something that's very politically charged for some people that have a lot of love a lot of loved ones that they really deeply care about that have been enmeshed in um in a way of living that is contrary to Christ, and how in the world do you even handle that when it's like family? Okay, so we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. And um, this is kind of a two-part series where you're like, oh my gosh, you're going to talk about it next week? Yes, yes, we are, all right? And, and next week I'm going to bring up um, uh, a man and a woman. We're going to interview them, both who um, came from the LGBTQ plus community and are now professing Christians and are now living their life uh, under the design of God's direction. So it's, it's an exciting time. So this is going to be a two-parter for you guys. So welcome to part one. And as we get into it, will you pray? Let's pray, pray together. Father, I'm so grateful that you make all things new. It's not just a song that we sing. It's a reality we live. And Father, um, as I proclaim this word, would everyone here be open to hear it? As all the people that hear this uh, via podcasts, via YouTube, Twitch, or Facebook, God, would they be able to hear and respond? Not in anger, but in conviction that you would do a work. Holy Spirit, would you move this this morning? Would you move in this building and online? I gotta thank you for that. And I need you in that. I can't do any of this without you. You are so good. God, I'm going to ask the church to pray for me. We're going to take 30 seconds for the church to pray for me to, uh, out loud or in the silence of your heart to just, God, would you have them pray for me to speak on your behalf your word, your truth, your love, God, you are in control and your spirit moves and I want to run to you with my whole heart and I pray every day that people would wrap their head around that and that they would join me in running towards the Father who loves us, who disciplines us, who holds us close and is in there in our times of despair and our times of triumph. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, here we go. So we're going to, first off, if we're going to take this by, what's your first point? My first point is God had designed for gender and marriage. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2. I feel like every week, as we talked about sex, we've headed, headed to Genesis chapter 2. Remember, uh, to seven, God forms a man from the dust of the earth. 2.8, uh, he, he planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Notice this, and this is just for fun. Uh, And it comes into relevancy later if you do a deeper study into Genesis of what this could mean. But remember, Adam isn't born or formed in Eden. He's placed there. So there's somewhere else that he is not. God forms him from the earth, takes him, plops him down in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Now, real quick on the man whom he had formed, uh, he made the man with 46 XY. Chromosomes. You guys know that that's just normal, XY chromosomes. Um, and did, oh, here's another fun fact. Did you know you get your gender from your dad? All right. So if he was made, I won't go that. I won't do a joke like that. I won't do that. Sorry. Uh, so he made, it, so uh, the 46 XY. Now here's what happens. Here's what happens. This is pure science, okay? This is science on, I'm not, this isn't like, you know, trust the science. You can, have, you can have XY chromosomes, and you are a male. If you have XX chromosomes, you are a? Yeah. All right, you don't even have to look at body parts. Okay, now watch this. There, there are some people that are born XXY. You have an extra female chromosome. Do you guys know that's called Klinefelters? And so what that is, it's like a man that has breasts and sort of, but very rare. But it happens, and um, it's a thing. And, and, and then there's also other people that are X, y, y. I have a son that's X, Y, Y. He has an extra male chromosome, okay? So that means uh, it's, uh, it's called Jacob's syndrome or criminal syndrome, which is sort of an awkward thing to tell him. Hey, guess what? Um, <laughs> so what that just means is he's going to have more testosterone. Uh, he's going to be a little bit taller, and he's going to be... Uh, his bones might be a little bit more brittle, all right? So there you go. And it's going to affect his brain a little bit. And so when we got that um, diagnosis when he was 10 weeks, and the first thing they asked, would you like to terminate? And I was like, uh, no. So uh, that, that's a thing. That's a thing, okay? So um, there is a reality, but that, and we're going to get into that, that's not normal. It's abnormal. What's normal? See, we're in, already in the culture that's going to be screaming. What, what do you mean, what's normal? Hang with me. So... Men were made with 46 XY chromosomes, okay. But he could not find a helper for him, fit for him. Remember that we talked about this, that, that God wanted didn't, wasn't good for the man to be alone. He wanted to have somebody. And so here comes um, Adam, all the beasts, all the animals, not one of these is going to be right for him. So what does God do? Then the Lord God made a woman. And women, you don't actually have to look at a woman. You just look at their blood. You're going to see that they have 46XX chromosomes. That's like standard issue. I'm a military person, so there you go. (laughs) So then the Lord God made a woman from the part he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And then Edit James, at last moment, okay, comes out as Adam sees his wife. He says, At last, not only my lonely days are gone, But this is flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. I shall call her woman, for she's taken out of man. And the Hebrew there is, I will call her Isha, because she was taken out of Ish. It's kind of a cool experience, all right? So then, then watch this. We see that, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so there's a complementary, like a puzzle piece. Use your imagination, all right? It's a kind of... You have a male end and a female end of the puzzle piece. They go together, all right? So that's sort of what was coming together here. But it wasn't just that. There was just like this complementary thing that a man and a woman brought together to f- f- fulfill one another. Now, listen, does that, remember we've talked about single people. Don't get angry at me yet. Uh, this doesn't mean that you are like cast away, that it is still good for you to have a relationship with men and women. Did you guys know that, single people? Like, that is good. And so you need the church to be family for you, especially as if, if you're thinking to yourself, I'm never going to get married. And did you know 95% of you will? So just chill. This isn't that conversation. Go, walk, go watch my uh, sermon one on this. All right. But, and we also talked about that sex is the glue that binds men and women together, which is why the best sex you will have is in your 60s. And that's all by design. Okay. Now, here's the part that gets... A little tricky. So God had a sign for gender and marriage. Now, all the time, um, people have a struggle, and that is, um, how can you say that this is the way it is when clearly I look around and there are people that are not straight, and there are people that are clearly gay. Or they're, they're th- go down the LGBTQ plus thing. There are people that would fit and identify in those, every one of those things. So what happened? All right. So I'm about to go into some nerdy terminology. Can you guys hang with me through some nerd stuff? Can you guys hang with me? Yeah. All right. So God has a sovereign will. All right. Sovereign will. But within the sovereign will, there's two types of decrees. You guys ready for this? You might want to write this down the efficacious decree, which is like, Lord, or or, no, let there be light. And you don't have to say Lord because there already is. Anyway, let there be light. Okay. That's the efficacious decree where he says something and it happens. bam. All right. But then do you remember in Job, book of Job, here comes Satan. He rolls up to God and he's like, and God's like, have you considered my servant Job? To which everybody else is like, God, shh, we don't need to talk about Job. And he's like, oh, Job, all right. Job only loves you because you blessed him so much. Let me do some damage. I'll take care of that. And he does. And that's called God's permissive decree. Okay? So he allows stuff to happen in his sovereign will that we don't see the whole picture, and it clearly is going against, watch this, his revealed will. The revealed will is like the Bible. God's word handed down from those who had been inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it down. And so God's word is his revealed will. Sovereign will is what actually happens. The reason why his revealed will doesn't always happen is because he has a permissive decree and an efficacious decree. And that is how you become completely sovereign in control of everything and still give people the ability to choose right and wrong. Okay. Everyone get all that? Now, Again, this gets us to the place where people say all the time, I was born this way. And, I have, and um, I've had a desire for the same sex since I was born. OK. Um, there's a I, I showed it first service, and I somehow didn't bring it down here. Anyway, it's a Berenstein Bears book. OK. How many you guys have read Berenstain Bears to your kid? Isn't that fun? OK. I don't want to ruin it for you. I love Berenstain Bears. I, I read my kids Berenstein Bears. It was awesome. And there's one particular book called God Made You Special. And it's sweet. And the whole point of it is to sort of teach children to be kind to those with special needs. And that's a sweet thing. Here's a problem with it. Say, God made this child that way. Well, if that's true, now hang with me. If that's true, that when in heaven, they would still be that way. So, so the, there's a problem with that language. So this is where um, my kids just, it's tough when your dad's a pastor, because i will be like, and then Sister Cub said to Brother Cub, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, we're going to talk real quick about efficacious versus permissive decree. And then they're like, dad, just read the story. And I'm like, this is important, seven-year-old, five-year-old. You've got to understand this, that in fact, my, my son Austin this morning was like, So why can't we not like that book again? I said, Listen, it's not the, the book is fine. It's just one line in it. And that God made this person that way. Do you guys remember John, 9, John 9? John 9. It's the guy who was born blind. And he walks and the disciples roll by. He's like, Whose sin was it, Jesus? Was it this guy's sin or his parents' sin that he was born blind? And he's like, Neither. So the glory of God made display to him. Bam! And he heals him. Now, what could have happened? No, what are you talking about? He, God made him special. And God's glory is going to be seen in him. And we're not going to heal him. But he heals him. In fact, the Bible says something about this. Every blind will every blind will see. All the lame will. Oh, okay. So heaven, where everything is supposed to be perfect, and we're supposed to bring, watch this. Our Father art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on as it is in Okay. So what we know is is that if it's not like it should be in heaven, it's something that's wrong on earth. You with me? So that the reason why I sort of, you know, I'm a a textual critic of the Berenstain Bears (laughs) is because because I don't want anyone to think that God specifically made someone that. What made. what made um, Titus, my third son, have, be X, Y, Y is not that God wanted him to be special. It was, he is an imager of God. That's what makes him special. And what's unique, and now is a, a, a result of sin. Watch this, is the abnormality. That's the result of sin. You're like, what do you mean? Who's sin? Thankfully, not mine. Wasn't my fault. <laughs> but it was a great ancestor, Adam and Eve. They brought in sin, and so therefore, my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather inherited sin, and then he passed it all the way down to me, and I was a natural-born sinner right from the get-go, as were you. Okay. So the problem of sin is the real battle here, to which this is where, again, everyone's like, well, I, I, why is that... Why does that matter? Well, we talk about salvation a lot here. Did you guys know that? We talk about being saved. And that's kind of like your traditional, well, um, Christian, you know, being born again. And I, I love it when I talk to non-believers. All oh, you born-agains, what is all what is that? What do you mean by that? And it's like, oh, you're like Nicodemus. Let me explain. All right, so, um, but the reality is, if there is no sin, there's no need to be saved from its consequence. And if we start changing the truth, then we've changed what the love means let me explain. Watch this. Go to Romans 1. So we're going to talk about God saves sinners who rejected his design. So this is why we talk about this. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Romans 1 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation. Now why, listen, this is what we talk, this is what our entire, if there is no salvation, we need to shut this down, become a rotary club. We'll do bingo here on Fridays. Because what ultimately we're talking about is that salvation means you have to be saved from something. If you're going off a cliff and you're on like a little boat in the raft and you're about to go, you need to be saved from gravity, okay? Now, what we need to be saved from is what? Our sin. Our sin. To everyone who believes. Now, I love this. It's not everyone who does. It's everyone who believes. Because faith... Is something you cannot do or work up or conjure. It's a, a gift of God. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Christians, or sorry, people of God have been saved from sin for all time by grace through faith. This is something that's been happening since Adam and Eve. Now, look at this. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Why do we need salvation? Because God's wrath is coming against our sin. And unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You may be familiar with the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are born at last. They start singing. They make love. Honeymoon. I don't know how long that lasts. Maybe that lasts five minutes, maybe 30 minutes. All right. So at some point after that, they're hanging out at the water cooler by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent rolls on by. It's like, hey, Eve. Eve. Did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? No. And then they have a conversation, and then all of a sudden, the serpent deceives Eve, and then she eats. Gives some to Adam. He's like, mm, "All right, well, I guess it worked out for you." He eats, and the next thing you know, they suppressed the truth of God's word. For what can be plain about God, for what can be known about God, is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Okay? And so this is where we look at it and we go, so they are without excuse. And this is where people say to me all the time, how can people who have never heard the gospel be saved? And this is the part where it gets, I get really serious and I go, that's why we send people to unreached people groups. The reason why we send James Meyer and Didi Meyer into Tanzania to the Zoramo people group because there is a million people there who have never heard of a Jesus. However, when we went there, there were, there, there were those there that were seeking. And an old man, 90 years old, like looked like a, just all bone, but 90 and the head of the tribe and actually Holland Gray, who's our church planner in East Austin right now. Uh, he went there to Tanzania with James and they go in and he meets this guy, shares the gospel with him. He said, there was this voice that I always knew was there. It would tell me where to hunt. It would tell me where to be safe. It would always talk to me and I always learned to trust this voice. And he said, and then of all the people that have come, I finally heard that this Jesus is the voice that I've been listening to. 90 years old, listen to a 20 something year old kid. that's why we go and god will bring those whom he has uh given the ability to believe he gives them the ability to receive okay so they're without excuse now here's what's tough about all of this that i'm saying is that god saves sinners who rejected his design to which we like the design part when it talks about how to treat other people we should be loving one another Jesus' command, a new command I give to you, love one another. As if that was not in the Bible before, Jesus sort of re-emphasizes and says, listen, if there's one thing you remember, love one another. Okay, now, the part that gets tricky is Jesus also says, I'm the truth, the way, and the life, no one gets to the Father except through me. And then he also says, I've come to save sinners. Then Thomas Jefferson, now I'm about to go to some political things, Thomas Jefferson, anybody ever read the book Uh, notes on the state of Virginia, classic read, 1700s book, great stuff. Nobody, what? Not even in college? All right. There was a great quote. I mean, this is one of my favorite Jefferson quotes uh, that I just like, it was awesome. And I'm going to tell you why it's awesome, because you might not think it's so awesome on the front end. It does me no injury for my neighbor to say there are 20 gods or no God. It neither picks my pocket nor breaks my leg. Now that phrase was sort of the, The benchmark phrase for the separation of church and state. And thank God for it. Because the last thing you want is church connected to state. Because in Europe, which is what he was doing, he was writing a defense for how awesome America was. And if you read uh, notes on the state of Virginia, I mean, Americans have always wanted to tell everyone else how awesome we are. It's just sort of in our blood, all right? And, but in it, you'll like find about flora and fauna and animals. Because everyone thought in, in Europe thought you know, the Americas were less than. So he's trying to write a proof of this. And even what's more of a proof is like how, how Americans had separated church from state. Because here's what happened back in the day. The church and state were one. Okay? And so in Europe, for you to be a politician, you first had to be a member of a church. And to be a member of a church, you had to say a bunch of creeds, believe a bunch of stuff, and then show up on Sunday. And that made for a lot of what? Fake Christians. And so there was a whole European empire built around the church with a bunch of fake Christians showing up, showing up, and paying up so they could finally get theirs in politics. Which is why when people sometimes whine about how we have taken God out of everything, there's some parts that's good. Because what happens when the politics say that now you have to affirm something that which you do not believe? And now all of a sudden you're in a pickle. <laughs> so what Jefferson was arguing against is like, I don't want uh, the, the politics messing with the church because it will mess up the church and then the church will mess up the politics. You want to keep those separate because Christians do have a country and do have politics and they have a king. you know who that king is? Jesus. And so of course, so of course, you can clap for Jesus. Come on now. Yeah. So, of course, we, can, we run to him to obey him over the state every single time. Okay, you guys got that. Um, but over time, we have taken the do-no-injury mindset and it, we have changed the narrative. And what we have, and we have said, if it doesn't hurt anyone, so we've changed it. We've shifted from do-no-injury so to if it doesn't hurt anybody, I can do whatever I want. I mean, you were as a teenager said this about a billion times doesn't hurt anybody. I mean, who cares? And so that's been our methodology with a lot of things and for a lot of things until all of a sudden that becomes the law of the land. If it doesn't hurt anybody, do whatever. And the reality is it does hurt people. It hurts you. It, re- it goes against what God's design is and ultimately takes away. Because if you want to know what's best for the state is to follow God's design. However, what is best for the state is for people to be Christians and Holy Spirit filled. And the reality is, guess what? You can't force that. Okay, But when we as Christians, I want to go back to this, when we as Christians start to dictate to God what our worldview will be, we're announcing that we are wiser than God, the one who invented us, the one who designed us. And we're saying, listen, your instruction manual needs a re- remake, rewrite. Adam and Eve were deceived that way. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And that's what happens to us when we're like, the culture said, so therefore we must. Now, I want to reiterate this a zillion times, though. It's fine for the non-Christian world to do that. Of course they're going to do that. There's no judgment. Because when you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can't do what only the Holy Spirit can empower. And that's why, um, that's why the world is trying to make everything fit within the I can do anything I want framework because happy has become the elusive God of the age. Okay. We're going to keep moving. So sexual morality is my neck. We're going to kind of go. So we all realize that we're broken. We're sinners. But sexual immorality is the result of idolatry. It all starts with believing who your God is. Do you believe the serpent or do you believe God? All right. Now look at verse 21, Romans 1, 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So although they knew God, could see his decree, said, nah, I'll do what I want. Claiming to be wise, they they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So in the past, we have had like a lot of animal-like gods that you worship, right? I mean, that's kind of like, You know, go to India, you'll see a lot of animal-like gods. You go to Greek mythology, there's some sort of half-man, half-animal thing. And what's really interesting is if you take man and you make it a whole bunch of men, um, men and women, and then you create a government around it, which is awesome and really great, then all of a sudden whatever the mass of people say is the law of the land, so therefore that becomes the god of the land if you obey it. Does that make sense? And that's what happens. This isn't like an anti democracy pitch, and we all need to have a king. But th- this is a, just the reality of what can happen over time when you let um, the majority opinion start to influence yours and not God's word. Verse 24 Therefore, God gave them up. Say it with me God gave them, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. The same thing that happened with Adam and Eve happens with us. And worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, serving the serpent as opposed to serving the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, let's try one more time. Right. That's two times. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. "...for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another." men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And um, my friend Don, who I wrote this book about, would always come to me and say, well, it's not natural for me to like a woman. So what that means is, it's if I'm going against my nature, against the way I was made, so therefore, and I'd be like, Don, stop. You're trying to twist it. And we would go to gay Bible studies together. Like we were in the like I said, we were in the neighborhood. We went to gay churches, and we would go to we go to, to gay Bible studies where they go over the seven clobber passages, and it would always come to this: I think what you're doing is you're, it's called hermeneutics, the study of the Bible. You're taking uh, a view, and you're making the Bible fit your hermeneutic, the, the conclusion you already want it to have, and you're not letting the Bible just simply speak for itself. One of my favorite uh, Spurgeon quotes is um, Charles Spurgeon, pastor back in Britain back in the day. He why is everyone always so needing to defend the Bible? The, the Bible? the Bible is like a caged lion. Just open it up and let the lion out. It can defend itself. So read God's word and let it power move. So look, look, but the reality was that sin, sexual morality, is a result of idolatry, and God gives you up. Um, do I have any C.S. Lewis fans? Where are my C.S. Lewis fans? Okay, oh, man. All right, one of my, here's another favorite. Uh, C.S. Lewis quote, there are two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, all right, then have it your way. Right. There's, that's kind of how it is. Like when we say like, I don't want your will, God, I want to do what I want to do. And he's like, have it your way and see how that works out for you. What happens is that when we go to idolatry, we move to a functional saver. Do you guys know what I mean by that? Sex is a great functional savior. Porn is a great functional savior. It it gives you peace in the place of God when you're feeling worried or tense. Eating food can be a functional savior. Um, your work can be a functional savior. And all, for our streaming, binge watching your favorite show is a functional savior. Scrolling, thumbing your phone on social media, functional savior. All right, so I, I got them all. All right, and what can happen? What can happen? I usually just sort of pound those, but the reality is your functional savior is what you lean to. It's what you go to whenever uh, there's sadness or hardness. And what you would say is like, if you take that away from me, I'm going to die. Don't take my phone. Don't take my streaming. Don't take my spouse. Don't take my children, right? This is the part where anything that you go to before God God's going to say, like, I am it. I'm number one for you. And that should be the ultimate thing. But what we do is we go to functional saviors all the time because either, A, we've never been taught to pray, or we don't want to go to God because he might convict us of something and, do some, and have us do something we don't really feel like doing. Does that make sense? There are tons of functional saviors in our culture. And they beat us down. And we need to call it what it is. And that's why the resurrection becomes so important. Um, in one of my, my times with Don, he wrote me this email that I put in this book and because the resurrection helps you overcome this. And he goes, Chris, why is the resurrection so important? My belief came from acknowledgement of the sacrifice uh, and that action is the, is the reason for sharing my faith. I can probably lie and say, sure, what the blank? I believe it all, but I'm not going to lie about my Christianity or anything else. I guess, like everything else, just stupid, ignorant faith and faith. I trust my conversion. I think it is... I think is that like things like a lot of other things, which seems to be so much bull blank, will possibly it'll possibly click sometime either here in this realm or in the next. I'm open to all of it, even though my mind and my personal history has told me different. Uh, and then he goes. And Nate Graybill called me back today and had a long chat. I didn't even know he knew Matt Chandler and also a DTS grad. Many of you guys are all over the place, except in the day-to-day lives of anyone I care about, which meant the gay community. Do you honestly never doubt the whole resurrection? Your mind is based with the ability to reason. So how do you turn off all the reason? And so that was one of his rants in email. And what I loved about that is it's getting back to the place of how do you see the, that Jesus dying on the cross being raised to the dead? matters once you get saved. When Jesus died on the cross, rose he saved you from the penalty of sin when you believe it. But listen to me. When you turn to Jesus as opposed to a functional savior, because Jesus has freed you from the power of sin. Because a lot of you are under the grip of porn. A lot of you are under the grip of... Uh, of shopping or scrolling or whatever the thing is. I have to do it. I gotta do what I gotta do. I can't trust Jesus because I need this thing. And so when Jesus died for you, he said, listen, I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit so you trust in what I did for you so that you can overcome the power of sin. Okay. Does this mean that people who are outside of God's design, meaning like have rejected God's design, are a special class of sinner? Now, while it is true that God values the body and says that uh, sexual sin is different than every other kind of sin, it doesn't make, um, the, fa- make the fact that God doesn't have an issue with all sin. You- you're not like, and then we have the special class of sinners, the really bad ones. Watch this. this will, if it doesn't make you laugh, it'll make you go, huh. So all sin in the history is a result of idolatry. So look at verse 28 and following. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, everyone say this with me. God gave them up, gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. You even have to take malice to do it twice. They are gossips. The wrath of God is being revealed against what? Gossips. This is the part you're like, well, Chris. I mean, come on, that's not that bad. That's part of your problem. You don't get it. You've mit- This is the part of the class where you've you've graded sins and you thought I'm not that bad. At least I don't do whatever. And that's performance based. You're going to have a hard time making it to the kingdom of God based on your performance. We all know that you gossip. How about this? Is like I'm. This is like free offending everybody today. Sorry. Not sorry. Okay, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, and the one that I preach to my children all the time, disobedient to parents. (laughs) I mean, this is the one you got to sit like, Austin, check it out, buddy. Let's go from Romans 1. Because what that means is, is that there is something wrong with us because if you haven't disobeyed your parents at one point, you're perfect in all you do. But the reality is you all have, and we all have. And I think this is what's so interesting to me that that would be in here. He's writing this to adults. He's not writing this to the children's ministry. He just talked about homosexuality a couple verses before. Disobedient to parents. This, see, the problem is we, we've classified sin as this is better, that's better. No, this is, this is awful. This is darkness. This is sin. And then he goes, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. Slanderers, gossips deserve to... Well, that's a little harsh. You see, this is the problem that you face. You don't realize how bad you are. I don't realize how bad I am. You are that bad. And like this is the part, Like if, if we really knew what went on inside your head, like, you know, at home, nobody would want to be around you. But the reality is... If we all had our, you know, if we had, like, a little, like, projector on our heads, what we were thinking about, but, oh, I'm sorry, oh, oh, gosh, I'm sorry, oh, oh, man, oh, you'd, you'd be walking, you would be horrible, right? But that's the beauty of the gospel, that they deserve to die. But Jesus says, you're going to live. But the problem is, when you practice such things, you deserve to die, they not only do them, they give approval to those who practice them, because misery loves company. In fact, right, remember this, the, the Gladwell, Malcolm Gladwell, if you get 10% of the population to sort of believe one way, you have a tipping point, and the next thing you know, you can have all sorts of laws change and things go, because you've had, you've, you're past the tipping point. You can get anything you want. So, listen, all sin in history is a result of idolatry, and you don't want to be on the wrong side of history, do you? Because, because listen, isn't God in control of the history, and after your 80 or 90 years, do you want to be on the wrong side of history in eternity? And, and this, listen, uh, this is the part, I, I, I'm sort of being funny, but the reality is, this is serious, is that Jesus came and he died on the cross for the sin of all history. You see, the, the reason why the cross is so important, and back to my, my buddy Don, why is the resurrection so important? Because he died for all sin. Like, it, not everything you do and every day, like on your worst day, he died for that day. And on your best day, when you want to do the right thing, but you just couldn't. And you th- expect everyone to judge you by your intention, but you judge everyone else by their actions. So that makes you a hypocrite. Like the reality is you are in darkness and Jesus came for you. And on the cross, he took all of sin on his chest. And on, he bore the wrath for all history, all eternity came into one moment. And one moment for someone who is an eternal person is forever. And that's why the, the cross is so important. And that's why we sing about it. And that's why we, we, have, we make such a big deal about the Resurrection Sunday. That's why this is so valuable. And that's why I'm desperately trying to plead with you that we would have a worldview that acknowledges our designer as God and that we speak into it with truth. And we ask, the, we ask that not that we cha- people would change their actions without the Holy Spirit, but we would give them access to the God of the ages who, if, when, I, when I got saved at 22, I looked around and said, why didn't anybody tell me it was this good? I wanted to be. Not, if you have that feeling of like, yeah, I just do the church thing because whatever. You missed it. And maybe you were born in church and lived in church and you, all you've done was church and I'm grateful you're here, but I, I, I want to re-preach the gospel to you because anything outside the gospel it will not save you. You're always going to start relying on your own goodness, which you are awful, because I am awful. And so my hope and my heart for us this morning is that we would trust God's design for sex. And so one of the things I want to do this morning is we're going to take communion. And so you'll see like one of those little uh, communion cup thingies, uh, kind of had to go this route since the coronavirus hit, which makes me really sort of sad. But uh, there's one around you. And if you're a Christian, this is what Christians do. We take communion together. And the reason why we do, it makes a big deal because it reminds us of how Jesus overcame our sin. And if you're not a Christian, don't take communion with us. However, if you're like, I'm in. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, rose from the dead. Then I want to ask you to join us in communion. Because when Jesus, in the night, before he was betrayed, he took bread. He hung out with his disciples. He broke bread, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, in the same way that this bread feeds your stomach, Jesus fills your soul. And that hunger that you feel for food is the hunger your, your soul feels for eternity. And Jesus is that answer. That same night, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we remember that Jesus died on the cross and his blood was shed. And this is symbolic, red, sort of looks like blood. And we remember that Jesus shed his blood, died. Like Our sin was that bad that the Son of God had to die. And so when you try and change what sin is, you mess with the gospel. That's why, uh, that's where, you're, you know, if you're watching, you're like, that's right, you're right wing, clingers to your Bible. No, no, no. I'm clinging to Jesus. And I get that that's offensive. But where else do you go? Who else has the words of eternal life? And so before we take Um, the elements I want us to just take a moment to confess sin before God we're going to take about 30 seconds I'm going to pray and at the end of the prayer there's going to be a 30 second window where you confess to God the darkness of your heart and remind yourself of how good God is and what he did for you on that cross and how he lives in you let's pray Father I'm so grateful that your truth is bound and wrapped up in love And that rules without relationship would forever lead us in utter rebellion and darkness. But because of your great love, your great relationship desire for us, you came near. And then when you saved us, then you gave us the opportunity to obey the rules because relationship rules is abuse. And we don't want to abuse your grace. We want to live in your grace because it's available to us like the ocean wave as it comes in again and again and again. And so God, for those that are really wrestling um, with what I've shared, I pray that they would hear from heaven your hope, that there is a way, that the God of the ages hasn't just left us in despair, but the God of the ages has come near to love us deeply. So Father, for the person who never met you, maybe they've gone to church their whole life, but they've never said, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. Holy Spirit, come into my heart and make me the person you want me to be. I pray that prayer would be on the lips of somebody right now. And Father, I'm praying that for those that have been walking with you but have been influenced by a culture that's getting increasingly more hostile towards the ways of God, Lord, that we would stand firm in our faith, not trying to get people to be like us, but to get people to understand the hope that they have. Lord, I'm praying that we would be gospel fluent, that our very words would carry the weight of Christ and our words would give hope. Lord, we love you and we worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Take 30 seconds and just before God confess sin, any of your own idolatry, any of your own sinfulness, anything of your own before the King and then we'll take communion together.